0: Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Lit Service, where we're fans of fiction and purveyors of dodgy writing advice. I'm Aaliyah, and my favorite tragedy is Where the Red Fern Grows, because yes, that is a tragedy, and yes, I bawled my eyes out, and yes, I will never read it again, but it was moving.
1: I'm Kristen, and my favorite tragedy is, if we're going like like a real classic tragedy, I'd say Hamlet, but if we're talking about any sort of tragedy, I'm in a dead poet society mood.
2: Hmm. Well, I'm Caitlin, and I don't like tragedies, so I don't have a favorite one. Um, one that I feel like was handled really well was in Onward, the new Disney movie. That's a tragedy? I think so. I think the ending is uh, tragic except handled well, so probably not actually a tragedy, so never mind. Wait, isn't a like- tragedy
1: like when a character's actions...
2: If you're talking about the classical definition for tragedy, then I do not have an answer for you. I just (laughs) think the classic definition is that it ends in sadness. That's true. Then I don't have a favorite because I wish they would all die. I wish just all the tragedies would go away.
0: (laughs) The tragedy for the tragedies. Yeah. (laughs)
2: Exactly. Wouldn't the world be so much happier? The tragedy of tragedies. tragedies?
3: Yeah. And I'm Erin, and my favorite tragedy is probably The Sixth Sense because I love watching it with – I live in a foreign country, so I – have a lot of friends that have never seen it, so I like showing it to them and watching them Ooh, discover yeah. the end. <laughs> That's fun. Very nice.
2: Oh, you know what? I, ta- I brought up Cloverfield. That's my favorite tragedy. There. That counts, yeah. Nope, that yeah, counts, okay. yeah, yeah. A big welcome to Erin Beatty, author
0: of the Traitor's Circle Trilogy, which includes The Traitor's Kiss, The Traitor's Ruin, and The Traitor's Kingdom. Tell us about your books, Erin.
3: Hello, and my books are... Usually shelved with the fantasy novels, but there's no magic system in it, so it will have, some people get confused when they read it. But it's in a fantastical universe of its own, and they, it's kind of an adventure and romance in there. There's a lot of kissing and a lot of stabbing and a lot of uh, backstabbing and a lot of false identities and betrayals. And so. and my next book that's supposed to come out next year is called Blood and Moonlight, and it's basically like hunting serial killer in medieval magical France. Ooh. Sounds awesome. And it's a great title. Mm -hmm. You know, you never get to choose your own titles.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you ended up with a good one this time.
0: So from our our tragic slash epic introduction, today we are going to be talking about anagnorisis. Did I say that right? We will never know. Anyway, the definition from Google for this is the point in a novel in which a principal character recognizes or discovers another character's true identity or the true nature of their own circumstances. So... In classical form, in um, Oedipus, you know, he finally realizes that he is the one who has killed his father and married his mother, and that is his moment of anagnorisis. So, what is anagnorisis good for in
3: novel writing? So it's basically a, a way to drastically alter the character's situation. It can be a total reversal. You can put it almost anywhere in the story though, but if it's at the end, it's like a time machine because it makes you reevaluate everything that's happened up to that point or the character reevaluate it. But the tricky thing is sometimes the character learns things later than the reader does and you just have to decide whether you want them just to, to, them to discover it together or not. I brought up the Hunger Games because it does it by reversing assumptions like District 13 does exist and that winning the games is the goal, but all of a sudden it's a step into a new and more dangerous world. So you'll see that a lot in series where, like, all of a sudden it's just like a door opens and you're in a whole new place. I think Divergent Trilogy does that too.
2: Yeah. And I thought about it in terms of like Pride and Prejudice, where Elizabeth realizes that she's the one who has been prejudiced when she thought it was mr darcy the whole time or i guess not really but you know what i'm gonna go with it because i already said it and it it recontextualizes their whole relationship more in like the movie than the book because in the books he really is pretty darn prideful and does some terrible things whereas in the movie like the newest movie he's much more pure (laughs) (laughs) or in Um, pride and prejudice and zombies in which he is absolutely perfect <laughs> Pride and Prejudice. And just songs. kidding. He's,
1: he's like, <laughs> it's a good movie, and I'll die on that hill.
2: <laughs> I I love that movie. Not, I mean, I love it because it just points to all the things that people like about Pride and Prejudice without actually being any of those. Exactly, things. <laughs> it's great. It's <laughs> great. But like in a romance, usually when that happens, when a character realizes the truth of either themselves or their situation, it's usually turned into like a wall in the relationship. So Elizabeth realizes all this as soon as Mr. Darcy is not in reach anymore. Anyway. I really love
0: reading these moments in books. I think it adds a whole new depth to the plot. Like you said, Erin, you know, you want to go back and look at everything in a completely new light. And I think also it, I don't know, as a read from reader perspective, it helps readers reach a new level of emotion. I think because we've all in our lives had those moments where we get chills and we realize, oh, something isn't what we thought it was. It's worse or we didn't understand and now we do. And so when characters go through that, we can, you know, sympathize with that and, um kind of chill, the chill filling is what I equate it with
2: how can feel, um oh go well, ahead Caitlin. before you go on I feel like it's a wonderful thing for people to to experience in a book because I feel like it's everyone's worst nightmare to realize that their reality isn't real and what they thought was going on is not what's happening or the way they thought that they were presenting themselves is not the way it was taken like all of those things are things that I think people identify with on a really deep level and so it's really horrifying
3: what happens in a book yeah Mm
1: -hmm. i I do think though sometimes these moments can be a positive thing i don't think they necessarily have to be like a negative thing like um like in the queen's thief series like king of atolia when when eugenides is like big plan is revealed that's a positive thing for the character who's realizing it even if does make him feel really stupid because of all the things that he didn't understand, it's still like a, oh, this person that I'm in service to is actually a good person. So I don't think an agnor... A- and <laughs> I'm not going to say that. An agnorisis. Uh, I was missing a syllable. I don't think it's necessarily a negative or tragic thing. It's just a reversal. Well, I
3: would say with Pride and Prejudice that it's a good thing too, because there's, like, there's this tragic realization of like, oh my gosh, I was so prejudiced. I was so blind in this. But at the same time, it's like, Actually, the situation is way better than I thought it was. This guy is really good and he's willing to forgive me and we can live happily ever after, but until that moment there was this like everything is going to go down the drain and I'm and I'm going to be miserable for the rest of my life. So, it can be a good my thing. Fault. Yeah.
0: <laughs> the clincher there. So, how can writers craft this in their stories? What are some good
3: tips? So, I really like how sometimes you can drag this moment out by letting your reader know before your character knows, and then you can kind of give it a double punch because then also um, your reader knows what's coming. And then there's an extra anticipation and knowing how that, that character is going to be traumatized. Um, I did that in the trader's kiss. I let the reader in on the secret, like one chapter before um, and with that intention. But then also if you have a trope, like there's, you know the lost princess trope. You know what it's going to be, so it's okay if the reader knows what's coming. You just want to make sure that they're in it for the whole journey. But whatever it is, you just have to make sure that it makes sense that your character never figures it out. There has to be a good reason. They can't be just dumb.
2: My character's too stupid to realize that they are the lost princess.
3: But yeah. haven't you haven't I... you read those books where you're just like, oh my Absolutely. gosh, the character should oh, know yeah. this?
2: Absolutely, so frustrating. <laughs> true i um i was hoping so hard for the star wars sequels to subvert this trope but they didn't so it's okay whatever another lost princess (laughs) yeah yeah um, I, one thing I really like about what you mentioned is that the characters need to have real reasons to not understand what's going on or to not pick up on it. And I feel like it's a really good opportunity to lean into your characters, like worldview and the things they believe about themselves and the people around them, like to really get into the voice of your character. Cause if your character like truly believes that their best friend is their best friend and the person that they're always going to rely on because of past experience and whatever else, the moment that there's a betrayal, it really hurts both the reader and the character because their worldview is so rock. So I feel like just what Aaron was saying, the more you lean into those reasons and the more you like display proof of those reasons on the page, the more of a surprise it will be.
0: Yeah, so this is another excellent um, way to use foreshadowing. I think I really like what you said. What comes to mind is uh, Javert's character in Les Mis. How many times throughout the musical do we hear him explicitly state his views on good and evil, you know? Jean Valjean is evil because he stole and Javert is good because he obeys the law and so in that moment of anagnorisis when Javert suddenly realizes maybe good and evil aren't so black and white as he thought, it really it's crushing for him and the audience is also clued in because they've been able to get such a clear view of what he thought it was before. He could have had this moment, but if the audience didn't know what his expe- expectations were, if the audience wasn't as keyed into those as Javert himself was, then the moment could have totally gone over our heads. But
3: as it is, it's beautiful. So I would bring up that the number of POVs that you have in the book is also determined this, because if you have multiple POVs, then you can have characters, you can have the reader aware of so many more things than your characters are particularly aware of. But if you have a single POV, then the reader only knows what... The character knows. And so they're probably going to figure things out at the same time and so just keep that in mind. But then like the whole thing where you realize something wasn't what you thought it was the whole time. So you have to reevaluate everything that happened in the past. So you're basically writing two stories in some way or three and so you need to make sure that both of those stories make sense. And that goes along with like the character not being able to figure it out. Like They have to be blind for some reason or just not aware of certain things that, that you are. It can be really challenging, but it can also be fun. I am desperately trying to refrain from
1: talking about the Winner's Trilogy because I talk about it all the time. But I think this is something that this uh, series does really well because... Arryn has so many reasons to hate Kestrel and if you don't have Kestrel's perspective it's really easy to see why he thinks and is convinced that she's as bad as she's trying to convince him that she is and the two the two points of view really make it um they give some delicious dramatic irony to these moments where you can know what one character believes and understand all of the reasons why they believe it, but also know that they are completely wrong and could not be more wrong than they currently are. And it makes for a really fun and engaging, intense reading experience.
3: You might grab it and go, just listen. It's not what's happening.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: like, just let her speak. She can explain. So is there a place in stories where anagnorisis should happen? Does it need to happen, you know, at the end of act two, when all the world is miserable, or can it happen throughout the story? What are your guys' thoughts?
3: Um, I would say it can be like an inciting incident, finding out that you aren't who you think you are, or her, your parents aren't who you think they are. Like I used it as a, like it kind of kicks off Star Wars kinda of kicks off that way. It's like your dad wasn't a navigator or a spice freighter. He was a Jedi knight and I was his best friend and he was betrayed and murdered. And all oh by the way, there's this force thing that you can might be able to manipulate. And it's like all of a sudden his Luke's world is just blown wide open. And then a whole bunch of other things happen too. And then at the end, you know, when you get to sorry, I think of the trilogy the original trilogy is the end. Sorry. <laughs> but, <laughs> we all yeah, accept this no, but, statement. <laughs> but you get to him realizing that, um you know, Darth Vader is his father and spoiler and that, <laughs> that kind of comes out of, no. it's one of those things that comes out of nowhere, but it also makes a whole lot of sense and plot. And then like, you have to reevaluate a lot of things, but you can put it at the end where it's like the climax, like an Ender's game where all of a sudden they realize that, oh no, this was an actual battle. This wasn't a game this time. And we were destroying an enemy that maybe we shouldn't have destroyed, um, or it can be in the middle. I think mine was kind of more in the middle because, but you just want to put it where it's going to be most devastating to your character. You want to hurt your characters a lot. As much as-
2: <laughs> I think that's true. I mean, usually it's something that makes the tension rise. So like you said, it could be an inciting incident that causes the character to suddenly act in a very different way, or it can be right before the climax where it recontextualizes their relationship with lots of other characters. But yeah, just where it's going to hurt the character the most, at least for the negative ones, you know, like the, the dirty cop ones, mm-hmm. the spy that's switching sides, the boyfriend who isn't really a good boyfriend, you know, like all of those things. Yeah. You want them to happen right before you throw your character into something new and big where they suddenly have to figure out where they stand in the world. And that's in YA books a lot of times right before the climax where there's lots of sword fighting and they're suddenly not sure who they're supposed to be stabbing anymore. Yeah. I love that example of Ender's Game, too, though, because that one's a really great that the anagnorisis moment is like the ending where there isn't a positive or even like anything he can do about it. And that's why it's a tragedy, because it happened. And then he realized what was happening.
3: But the story is so exciting without it. Ender's Game is it's so it's a good story Mm -hmm. without it. And then it's like so you take it and you take this wonderful thing and then you're just going to like throw this cake on the floor is what I felt like it was.
1: I think that's also a really good one to talk about um, how you can have the same realization at different times and have it still work. Because if you think about comparing Ender's game to Ender's shadow, which is from Bean's perspective instead of Ender's, he has a completely different perspective on that because, he spoiler, he knows ahead of time that it's real because he's had his moment of anagnorisis an earlier. And so you see the same sequence of events, but it lands totally different for the reader based on when that knowledge is revealed to the character or the character realizes it. Um, so that's just an interesting case study, well, and I based guess. based on
2: those two characters, like the time it's going to hurt Ender the most is after it's all done and he can't do anything about it. And the time it's going to hurt being the most is when he has to decide what to do because he doesn't trust himself to make good decisions. Yeah. So we kind of mentioned earlier that anagnorisis doesn't
0: have to be tragic, but um, I think most of our examples we've pulled up have been at least tragic for the person experiencing it. So how would we say that anagnorisis differs between tra- when it's used in tragedy versus when it's used in another situation, you know, a happy realization?
3: I think in tragedy, it's going to be something that you just can't recover from. The cake is thrown on the floor. You're pushed off the cliff. Uh, your character cannot go back to the way they were at all.
2: Mm-hmm. Which I think we kind of just talked about where the, the anagnorosis is after everything has already happened. Like I mentioned Cloverfield earlier. The ending is a moment of anagnosis where they realize that there is no way to beat the monster. There is no way to escape. And after everything they've already gone through, they're just going to die. And then they do, you know, spoilers. Sorry if you guys haven't seen it. It's an old movie, so whatever. But anyway, I don't know if that really counts, but I feel like depending on how you want the feeling of whatever it is you're making your book to be, the the moment of anagnorisis has to either have time to recover from it, or it will be a tragedy, tragedy, unless it's a positive realization.
0: So we're about out of time for this portion of the podcast, but I'll just go ahead and put in a plug at this point that um, I think of it as second level crafting where you specifically identify something you want to tweak in your book. For instance, if your character has a moment and it's really emotionally impactful, but it's not quite reaching the anagnorisis level, these are things that can totally be added in on the second draft, third draft, fourth draft, in my own writing, I don't like to focus too much on this at the beginning, but then in redrafting, this is where you really get your hands in the nitty gritty and, and start crafting with foreshadowing and um you know different viewpoints, the things you really want your character um, to experience. So if this all sounds like a lot, no worries. We've all been there and you can do it too. You can have your moment of anagnosis on the page. You
2: can have your cake and throw it on the floor too. Exactly. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> I never recover. It is
0: there waiting. Okay, so now we'll go ahead and move on to the portion of a podcast where we critique an audience submission. We like to keep these non-prescriptive, but you can see all of our notes and the text for the submission on our website, listservspodcast.wixsite.com/litnation. If you would like a first chapter critique from us, you can find our submission guidelines there. A summary of this week's submission. In a magical prison with no opening, Phasia is the last prisoner alive and is doomed to spend her immortal existence in solitary agony. But just when she begins to lose hope that other humans still exist, a new prisoner arrives, one looking specifically for her. What are some things we liked about this chapter?
3: So I thought the whole concept was really intriguing. I was like, ooh, I, I could see so many things ways that it could go and i was excited to find out uh the way she wanted to do it i thought her feelings of guilt about why she was in the prison were at least touched on enough in in a first chapter and i there there was a line that i really liked that kind of hit me it was the repetitive ones like he died they all died she had watched them burn i was like "Ooh, i like that one (laughs) i really liked that too i think there's a lot of
1: really interesting atmosphere here and um, like the first paragraph really kicks off the, the atmospheric feel, the sort of ambiance, and it never really changes or like loses that feeling. So I thought that was uh, consistent throughout this submission.
0: I'm really on a kick right now with... Um like villainous characters. And so I love how the, the setup of this book, we have someone in the worst prison ever made. So clearly she's done something atrocious. And then the inciting incident is another prisoner shows up in the prison. So clearly he's done something atrocious. Um, I'd be really excited to see how these kind of brittle broken characters interact.
1: I thought there was some fun tension of, there's a line where it says that Phasia hated that the wall took all of her power except for immortality, the one thing she often wished desperately they could take, and I thought that was a great line, um, and it it did a lot of character work for uh, I
2: really Phasia. liked that too, like the idea that she's stuck there and she can't, like the way that everyone else left was to die, and like not even that avenue was open for her it was very despairing and awful and sad and it really set the tone for a lot of the for the rest of the submission.
3: What are some things that might need a second look? I had a little bit of trouble visualizing this at first. Um, it talked about as this solid block of stone, which is cool, but then she's in a cell with an open side and I, you, you visualize that game of Thrones prison from the eerie was like, which is mm-hmm. one of the creepiest prisons ever. Um, but, and super effective. Um, but then it took me a minute to figure out that it was open to the interior. I just would have maybe a little bit more description rather than kind of the analogous allegorical type descriptions and just some straight up actual descriptions might've been more helpful for me.
2: I think that's where I was as well. There were so many just beautiful descriptions and um, like departures into navel gazing that I feel like, like they were really cool by themselves. But in the context of the scene, and in the first chapter, they were quite distracting. And it made it so I didn't know like where the characters were in relation to each other. I didn't know, like for a while, I thought that the the second prisoner who came in was like, beneath her maybe but then I thought maybe he was across from her because she could see his face and like I just wasn't sure where people were or what they were doing and it took a really long time. It felt like it was very slow because we were wading through all of these atmospheric details when uh, maybe just one or two, sorry I'm getting prescriptive here now, could have really set the tone and then allowed us to use our imaginations. That's sort of how I felt about the world building in this as
1: well. It's really clear that this author has This author knows what is going on in this world and knows it really well. But I found myself being sort of confused and distracted by a lot of the details that were sort of dropped in. Like at the beginning, it's like a song or like a prayer that Phasia is saying, but it's sort of dropped without any context. And so I spent a long time thinking about what that would mean, but it didn't mean anything to me. So it sort of made the pace... um, it It just didn't flow as well when I was reading it because I kept getting distracted
3: by all of the extra I think it detail I think it lingered in a lot of places that it didn't necessarily need to linger, but part of drafting is figuring out where you wanna pause, yeah, <laughs> that's it's a really true. good point um
2: Kristen and I in the uh in the notes, we're talking about this in reference to other books that kind of have this sort of structure where I assume that this is sort of like a prologue kind of a book or a kind of a section. And then we're going to jump back in time and figure out how she got here, because the last line is she like remembers how she died. And so I'm assuming we're going to go back and see the story from the beginning, perhaps, and that based on the way we're... Um, the way this is structured that that after we get through that story we'll come back to where we are and then it'll resolve somehow at the end which there are plenty of books that do that we were talking about um strange the dreamer specifically which has a beautiful amazing prologue that is very not similar in details but like it has a one of those moments where we're like what is going on oh my gosh how did you get to this and it gives you all the vibes yes it gives you the tone of the book and the vibe and we are so excited to get back to it and figure out how it happened and as you read the book like the Donnie really of what is going to happen because you already know is really dreadful but as Kristen reminded me in the notes part of the reason that it works is because it's only two pages it gives us a taste but it doesn't give us anything more than that we don't we aren't asked to remember like names or cultures or places or it, it gives us a situation where all of the details are atmospheric and help us to feel how it is but doesn't ask anything more of us about like remembering anything about the world yeah, and in case this this isn't a prologue, jump back in time, get us to this point
1: thing, I would still say that the beginning of your story is really important because um, your reader, your average reader has a limited number of questions that they can be asking themselves while they're reading something. And so the the most important thing is to make sure that your readers are asking the questions you want them to be asking and to really zero in on the mysteries the most important mysteries up front rather than giving a ton.
2: Well, and also a mystery in of itself isn't what's going to drive a reader forward at the beginning of a book necessarily, because a mystery without context or without connection to characters is just a lot of like, I don't understand what's going on. Whereas if you can help people to understand what the character wants and what they're trying to achieve and then see them failing or like, I don't know, there's there's a lot to be said for like giving information that's interesting rather than withholding information that you hope your reader will find interesting later.
0: I think my note on these first few pages is in line with that. So I, I did I found a lot of what we were learning about phasia interesting, but I felt like I was missing maybe the key points. I wished I had a little bit more um, certainty about her worldview. But mostly I think I felt like the first few pages dragged a little for me just because faja's lying down and talking to herself. I really like the ambiance um, those scenes create, but my prescriptive advice, very prescriptive, is perhaps consider condensing that and moving the inciting incident up earlier, since I really began to learn what kind of person Fasia was once she met the other prisoner and her reaction towards him. We are about out of time. Does anyone have any final thoughts?
3: Um- I wanted to add that, uh, like structurally, grammar wise, there, I felt like there was a lot of filter words in there that kind of separated me from phasia. And I would look really hard at just if you want me to feel what she's feeling and think what she's thinking, don't tell me like she felt the stone floor. It's just like the stone floor pressed against her hands, that type of thing. Um, don't say thought, felt, watched. You know, just say that those things are happening. And then you feel like you're you're observing them with her.
1: And I'm very guilty of misusing filter words. Oh, so yeah. I
2: feel you, yeah, author. Like, <laughs> I feel like that's the first thing that any first draft, what you go and look for is all those filter words that sneak in.
0: They always sneak in. Very sneaky. Well, to this author, thanks for submitting. We really enjoyed reading your work. And Erin, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. Listeners, be sure you check out her books if you haven't had the pleasure already. If you like what you've heard, please check out our new Patreon page, where you can get bonus content like hot seat critiques, early episode access, and a writing group experience with Blitz Service crew oh. members. It takes a whole team of creatives to make Blitz Service, and patrons help us keep going. Thank you to all of you who have already become patrons and are keeping us on the air. Thanks to our assistant, Chelsea Mortenson, who does all our social media, and Craig Harris, who's on sound design. We couldn't do the podcast without them. If you want to ask us questions, tell us we're awesome or whine about how your writing is going, you can find us on social media or email us at litservicepodcast at gmail.com. Please remember to like, share, and review the podcast. It helps us grow. Thanks for listening to Lit Service. We'll see you in two weeks.